Welcome to Things That Will Help with Buffy Barfoot. This podcast explores what it's like to be human and how to find tools to feel clear, grounded, and happier. The weekly theme will be simple as well as rich and something you can apply to your real life. The human stories ahead do not negate the hard or the dark, but rather point to the lighthouses along the way. This is Buffy. To preserve, according to Merriam-Webster, means to keep safe from injury, harm, or destruction, to protect, to keep alive, intact, and free from decay, to maintain. (laughs) And of course, there's the fruit, raspberry preserves, canning, which I definitely want to learn how to do someday. I've been thinking about preservation lately running my fingers through what it means to preserve, to keep safe, to maintain, to file away later for pleasure. Coretta and Otis, they really love bath bombs. (laughs) And for Christmas, I got them a variety pack of these, these bath bombs that have all combinations of beautiful colors. And when I hand them one, they both they both sort of hover it above the water looking at the the round swirls of color in its whole state in their hand and they're always reluctant to drop it into the water because once it starts fizzing and dissolving of course it cannot be preserved so every night at bath time i watch this dance this desire to let the fizz loose <laughs> mixed with this morning of something whole and full of potential. And my kids, of course, don't know that I'm exploring existential questions as they have their bath time, but I wouldn't be me if I didn't allow myself to draw those conclusions. We all have different ways of trying to trying to preserve beauty, memory, and meaning. And I think the way we preserve these things is something that comes to us very naturally. It's like the way that we came into the world. I like stories. I like to preserve words and crystallize feelings through storytelling. Um, But I'm also a body person. I feel kinesthetically, viscerally through my body. I've been a dancer practically from birth. And so I think that naturally comes to me also. And so I wonder how you preserve memory and beauty and sacred pinpoints of pleasure. Are you a photographer who tries to preserve through still images that you can flip through later, thumbing around for that particular moment? Or are you somebody who preserves through how you care for people, how you cook for them, give them medicine, and hope and information about their lives. Um, One of my favorite books is called The Far Away Nearby by Rebecca Solnit. And in it, she writes about her, her mother's decline into Alzheimer's. It starts out with Solnit receiving this really big and overwhelming bounty of apricots from a single tree in her mother's yard the summer before her death. 
and she receives them all at once. And each apricot is in a different stage of ripening and decay and some in in desperate need of preservation. And it's this really powerful metaphor and one that has made me a forever fan of her writing because it's life, really. We have, we kind of like all have these hundreds of fruits, hundreds of moments spreading and sprawling all over our bedrooms and all over our houses and hundreds of stages of beginnings or endings or perfectly balanced at the top, like right in the middle, this ripe and perfect moment. And if we only noticed it hanging there ready for consumption, if we were only so present to that. So I don't really know here (laughs) If I'm advocating for preservation or not, I think it's something we just do. And it's a a way to archive and collect these like filmy files of memory. Um, I had this, this Sunday recently, uh, with my dear friend E, we, we had something rare for us, a span of about five hours with no children, no spouses, no agenda, no rush. And it was just us and a couch, and some hot tea, and some Thai food takeout, (laughs) and the opportunity to talk with with no interruptions. And we couldn't quite believe it ourselves, actually. And so we pulled on every thread. We went down every road. We talked about books, suicide, addiction, wedding dresses, loss. We talked about our mothers, cancer, ourselves as mothers, lingerie, sisters, brothers, dance, Shakti mats, boot spot during a high fever that I cannot be responsible for, <laughs> and children. And oh, we, we also talked about how it's hard to make a match with mom friends and how we're not really mom friend kind of women. And she she asked me about the book I'm writing, and I told her that I haven't touched it in six months and that I needed to make friends with it again. And she smiled. And I noted how it felt to say that aloud. It felt like relief. I think that I've been writing this book from the lens of what will sell. And I have lost something along the way, the actual essence of the book. I feel like I've lost its truth and I stopped discovering what it was supposed to be while I was pinning down what I thought it should be. And that's why I kind of backed off and gave it a little break. Um, I tried, I think, to become certain in the process of writing instead of allowing myself to be curious about what it was revealing to me. So, so this, this very thing, this way we suffocate things in order to preserve something we believe them to be is when preservation becomes a form of murder. When something becomes stagnant or lifeless because what we are trying to hold on to actually kills the moment and makes the thing become something it's not meant to be. Like we squash it. We squash the life out of it. 
And, and I think in some ways I was squashing the life out of my book because I was thinking too much about how I wanted to sell it or package it for an agent. And that along the way, I lost its essence. <clears throat> so if we were only to let the bath bomb hover and never submerge it, so that it wouldn't fizz and dissolve and put color all over the bath, then it never actually becomes itself fully. So preservation is so beautiful sometimes, like with a light touch, a record of something. But at some point, we have to let things be free to exist without specific record or requirements. One of the the countless tangents E and I went on that Sunday was how preservation can kill a story. We all, all of us have certain stories that we tell over and over and over again, like at dinner parties and at meet and greets. And when we, when we first really want to get to know somebody a little bit deeper, we tell these foundational stories and, and E knows a lot, if not, not most of my stories, the ancient ones and the more recent ones too. And we were both talking about how these stories we all have, the most transformative moments of our lives, they begin over retelling and repetition. They begin to become so scripted. We have preserved the language and and sort of, at least in some cases, extracted the emotion and the raw material out of them. And so they become like sound bites. I know for sure that I've done some of this over the years with with my Benjamin stories. I'm sure you've done some of this too with scripted stories that you tell. We all do this. And she said something that really made me pause to take it in. She said, when we keep telling the same stories the very exact same way, we don't learn anything new. And they just sit there with the life sucked right out of them. And then she went on to tell me, that Megan, her fiance, has this story she tells, a foundational one. And and recently they were out on a double date. And for the first time, Megan told it in a totally new language and in a new way. And she was struck. He was struck by Megan's vitality when she was telling it and her discovery of this learning that happened from such an old story. And I thought about how sometimes when we throw out the rules of preservation, or maybe it's not not rules, but when we throw out the requirement of preservation or replication and just attune ourselves to the curiosity and to the learning, then that is when we evolve. And so she said, E said, we, we have to let it change. It doesn't mean that nothing about their original material is preserved, but we have to um, let it fly and change and expand, and then we become more alive with the process. So if your same old stories are no longer moving you, then what's the point of continuing to retell them? Of course, we can always make a case for the photograph that distills the moment, But is it worth it to have that later to pour over? Is it worth it to lose the actual vitality of the moment itself? There's this, um, there's this famous photograph, and you've all probably seen it. It's 
there's this crowd of people and they're all looking at something. I don't know what, um, because the photograph is of the people themselves and you can't tell what it is they're looking at. And every single one of them has their, their phones out and they're all recording whatever it is in front of them that by the looks on their faces must be pretty magic. And in the middle of all of these people and all of these phones, there is one lady and she's older and she's smiling. She's the only one smiling and she's looking at this magic thing they're all looking at and there's no phone in her hand. And her face, she's the only one that has this look of total joy and captivation on her face. And a lot can be said about this. And whenever I see it, I remember that I never want to be stuck behind my phone trying to preserve things I am missing in the first place. But the irony, of course, here is that the reminder of the presence and the joy that we all crave in that moment, in this case anyway, is coming from a photograph that someone actually took in that moment. So to preserve or not to preserve, I think we can't help it. For most of us, we don't have a choice. It's like breathing. Our cravings to preserve beauty and memory and meaning into the world that we live in. And I think it's beautiful and good and important to preserve. But on the other hand, what if we could do that without squashing it and without missing it? And I think the way to do that, or at least one of the ways, is to let it become something else. So all of those apricots on Solnit's floor in all the various stages of life and death quickly changing like our days and moments do. When we put those apricots into jars and we vacuum the air out of them, heat them to temperatures that will last, doctor them in ways that allow length of life, we change them, we change the fruit, we change their lifespan, and we change their language. So something is preserved, but it's not the same something they were right when they fell from the tree. Megan's story, our stories, when they change, when we let them change, the blood pumps in them, and we get curious and soft, and we wonder about ourselves. And the person we are telling it to, even if the new language is messy and incoherent, they can feel the learning too. And so I was so grateful um, for that reflection and for what I learned from E on that Sunday, because I can feel just with that prompt, my story's getting a little softer and um, beginning to shift underneath my feet, which I think is a really, really good thing. So we try to do both, preserve, archive, save, relish, remember, revisit, trace over things we have loved and lost. And then also, we can try to be present when things happen. We set down our phones instead of always recording life so that we don't miss it. And then we let all the bath bombs go and fizz and, and let loose and do their thing. And we let our books become what they are meant to be with the origin stories. Yes, I think those should, should be in there. But maybe when we put our ear to the ground, they change a little. They become more true 
over time, more truly themselves. It doesn't matter what is going to sell. I'm really starting to feel that in my in my bones and in the cells of my body. It doesn't matter what is going to sell because first it must be true. Maybe we can call it preservation, but with freedom and wings, <laughs> winged preservation. Coretta My daughter, who is turning three in a couple of weeks, is trying to preserve, I can tell she's trying to preserve her memories of babyhood. And at the same time, she's transitioning into a kid. She keeps crawling up in my lap a lot and laying on me. And once she's completely snuggled up high onto my body, when she's as close as she possibly can be without being inside of my body, she says, Mama, I'm pretending to be a baby again. (laughs) And I say, okay. It's very sweet, and I can tell she is finding her way on the threshold of kiddom. She's trying to make a preserved imprint to remember and to hold on to that story. I think in in a body way, in a body memory way, I can feel her nostalgia for something she knows somehow is slipping away. And such is life, right? The greatest pleasure doesn't last, but our memory of it does. And so we try to feel every corner of it until the next wave shows up. Thank you. Thank you for listening today, for letting me meander (laughs) a little bit. This one felt a little bit all over the map. And for letting me discover what is meant to be here. Sometimes it's not obvious and bullet pointed, but a foxhole instead. So um, thank you. I want to especially thank my pa- my patrons, my community who support this podcast and keep the life in it and the blood in it. It means so much to me. I want you to know that I know all of your names and I regularly feel grateful for your continued support. And if you would like to become a patron, please take a look at the show notes to show you how and know that um, I have immense gratitude for that. Love to all. Take care of yourselves and do what you can to stay awake and alive and um, in a place of winged preservation. Blessings. Blessings.